The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Healthy Baby Show is a production of iHeart Podcast Network and HealthyBaby.com. As soon as that amniotic sac ruptures, this baby is flooded by microbial signatures and other stimuli from the outside world. All of that is learning. It's immune education. There's so much about having a baby that I wasn't prepared for, and I feel like I've learned a lot. I want to let you in on what I've discovered and save you the time and effort, give you a shortcut through the hours of research, correspondence with experts, the roller coaster of it all, so that you can walk away with new knowledge that you can act upon every episode. This is The Healthy Baby Show. I'm Shazi Visram. You just heard from Dr. Jack Gilbert, professor in pediatrics at UCSD. Dr. Gilbert is also the co-founder of the Earth Microbiome Project and the American Gut Project and has authored more than 300 peer-reviewed publications and book chapters on microbial ecology. I'm interested in his research because it shows the link between the gut and the brain and actually how your gut can affect your behavior. It's not the first thing you think of when someone says, your child might have ADHD or you get an autism diagnosis. And a lot of us don't realize that our gut is like our second brain. And if we actually approach creating holistic health for our bodies through our gut, we can improve our brain health and improve behaviors in our children. And it's like super fascinating. One of the most helpful therapies for us has been focusing on Zane's gut because as his gut health has improved, so has his behavior. And it's something I think is really cool to share with new parents so they understand the importance of the early years of how their baby's guts are developing and why that's so cool. Dr. Gilbert, thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. I'd love to introduce listeners to the human microbiome, specifically as it exists for an infant. And I would just love for you to kind of break it down for the uninitiated. The microbiome is literally just 
all of the bacteria and fungi and viruses that live inside your body. And each part of your body is its own ecosystem. If you're thinking about our gut, it's really just a tube that goes on the inside from our mouth to our anus, kind of like a donut. And the inside the donut hole is where the majority of microbial life lives. The gut is around a pound of bacterial biomass in an adult intestine. And so that's a, a lot of bacteria, right? It's about 30 trillion bacterial cells living inside the intestine. But there's also bacteria all over your skin, in the respiratory tract, in the oral cavity, in the urogenital tract, anywhere there's an outside entrance way into the body, you'll find microorganisms. The bacteria that live on your skin are very different from the ones that live in your intestine. They can be as different as, say, the Serengeti ecosystem is to the rainforests of Brazil. And that really helps us to understand links between that and human health. That's so fascinating. I feel like there's this new research using healthy bacteria from an area of healthy skin on your body to possibly heal eczema on an area of your body that is dysbiotic, so to speak. I've always heard of it as gut health, but it's so interesting that it's now becoming skin health too. Yeah, well, on the skin, everything's in balance, right? Everything's in equilibrium if it's healthy. And on normal skin, you actually have bacteria that have colonized it that are good at fighting off other bacteria. Right? Bacteria have been in warfare for 4 billion years. They're continuously fighting and they've evolved mechanisms to kill each other and to defend against the bad bugs. The same is true in the intestine. But when those good bugs go away, the bad bugs can thrive and that can lead to immune disorders like eczema on the skin. Yeah, I've learned through my own experience that a truly healthy gut can mean vibrancy in health, even developmentally, even with behaviors. What do you think that the average new parent should know about the development of a baby's microbiome? Can you explain how and when they're first exposed to bacteria? Yeah, I mean, there's nuance there, right? I mean, mother's immune system during pregnancy is training the fetus's immune system directly, right? There is a direct exchange of immune activity there. And what we found quite interesting is that how mother's immune system functions during pregnancy has a big impact upon the developmental trajectory of the fetus and then postpartum the child. So how healthy you eat during pregnancy can play a big role in the functional traits that the child will develop. And then postpartum, what we end up with is a child that has a very limited bacterial community associated with it and a moderately functioning immune system that needs to be trained. So this baby that doesn't have bacteria when it's in the womb, and as soon as that amniotic sac ruptures, it's flooded by uh, microbial signatures and other stimuli from the outside world. All of that is learning. It's immune education. It's seeing the bacteria from the family pet or from the soil and plants outside. And those bacteria are just stimulating the immune system. Anything you feed the child, breast milk, for example, which has a good combination of prebiotics and probiotics inside it, as well as enabling the growth and structure of that microbial community in the gut, on the skin, in the oral cavity, your genital tract, and um, to become more adept at creating a microbial barrier against potentially pathogenic organisms. Can you explain what happens when babies are born vaginally versus C-section and what effect that might have on their microbiome? So when a baby's born via C-section, there can be two different strategies. Number one, baby's still wrapped inside the amniotic sac and you have a C-section and the baby comes out through the abdomen. There's also another strategy where the baby's 
already ruptured the amniotic sac and the baby's actually passed into the vaginal tract to a certain extent and then needs an emergency C-section to actually be removed via the abdomen. So they're exposed to the vaginal microbiota, but they're not coming out of the vaginal tract. And then you've got the third one, which is straight vaginal delivery. And what we found is that straight vaginal delivery has a very different signature to babies that are, for all intents and purposes, experiencing the vaginal microbiota. And the, the signature, the microbial signature in babies born via vaginal tract at birth is gastrointestinal. The proximity of the vagina to the anus during birth is a lot more important than just passing through the vaginal tract. So vaginal seeding... The vaginal seeding thing, what they do is they test you for group B strep. If you're negative, you can put some gauze into your vagina and when the baby is given to you after the C-section, you can wipe that all over the baby's skin, in their ears, in their eyes, in their nose, in their mouth, and it gives them that initial anointing of your microbiome. So vaginal seeding, even though we were proponents of it as an experimental uh, therapy, we didn't see it as having any harm basis as long as the mother was properly screened for sexually transmitted diseases, which can cause severe infections in the eyes and therefore blindness in children. As long as that screening process had been done, then vaginal seeding could do no harm as far as we were concerned. But what we found is that vaginal seeding doesn't actually seem to have a significant impact upon the immune system of children. So I, I did vaginal seeding. You did no harm but you may not have done anything beneficial either. It seems like it was in, you know, n- not necessary. Well, which is great because what we need to do is get to the actual science and the research. Yeah, I've had many years in the field of infant nutrition. And so I do know that from a breast milk standpoint, there are bacteria that seed the gut and that there are certain oligosaccharides, like certain sugars in the breast milk that are designed to basically feed and grow what ends up being a more diverse microbiome. And I've always been so fascinated at the beauty of breast milk. I mean, it's just like such an amazing substance. There's some really, really cool data coming out now from David Mills and colleagues up at University of California, uh, Davis, where they've demonstrated that a lot of people in developed nations, right, like America, like China, like Europe, are lacking a bacteria in breast milk and in baby's gut that's incredibly abundant in developing nations. We believe this bacteria may have been lost due to multi-generational abuse of antibiotics and potentially due to differences in diet and lifestyle characteristics. But very interesting, this bacteria, Bifidobacterium longum infantis, when you add it into babies that are born prematurely in clinical trials, demonstrates a significant improvement in the digestion of breast milk and a significant improvement in immune development in the gastrointestinal lining, in the gut wall. The immune cells look much stronger, much more robust when B. infantis is there. And so we think B. infantis, as you pointed out, is incredibly good at eating these complex sugars that are in breast milk. And most of the other bugs aren't very good at doing it. So if you add it back into the cycle, right, if mother doesn't have it, if we can add it back in, maybe we can break that cycle. And then that child, if it's a girl, will grow up with that B. infantis in their microbiome and then pass it on to their child. You basically are saying that the baby inherits the mother's microbiome. If rather than focusing on what to do if you have a C-section. Maybe it's focus on maternal health while you're pregnant and find a way to add the B infantis to, you know, a prenatal regime. And that way 
we are front-loading the ability to have a stronger and more robust microbiome. I fully agree that's a clinical trial question that needs to be done, right? We need to determine if that works. And right now, as far as I'm aware, nobody's done that one experiment. We'll be back after a quick break. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Healthy Baby Show. I would love to share actionable information that is proven for women or parents who are thinking about bringing a new child into the world, what would you think is actionable knowledge? We actually wrote our book, Dirt is Good, to provide a guide for actionable data because we were seeing so much suggestions online from potentially people who meant well, 
just didn't understand what the science was saying or pushed the frontiers of science before we actually had information. And our editor, when we sent them the first draft of this book, said, well, this is all great, but nearly every one of these questions you say, we don't really know how to answer your question with actionable evidence, but here's what the science currently says. So it's a really complex balancing act. We need to do no harm, but we also need to enable and empower people to be able to make decisions for themselves that are evidence-based. But when the evidence actually isn't there, then you end up with just assumptive processes. It's a very difficult balancing act. For example, uh, you know, again, I have an autistic son, right? I was, I was going to ask, because we're part of a club that is for very special members. Tell me about your son. Yeah, I mean, we moved over from England to the United States when he was three years old. And he'd already been identified as being potentially on the spectrum under three. But in England, the diagnosis mechanisms weren't in place to necessarily say that he had autism at that age. And so when we got over here, we went to a few preschools and found it very difficult and then went to kindergarten and they said, yeah, no, uh, your son has autism and well, let's go and get a diagnosis. And when we did, and I had that diagnosis in hand, I could speak to the doctors and say, yeah, OK, all of the learning difficulties, all of the lack of speech, all of the growth problems were driven by this one particular spectrum of potential conditions. Right. As a scientist and a dad who wants to fix things, I immediately went out and gung-ho, OK, let me review all the literature. I read everything. Right. And I quickly found out that we know less and still do than we should do in order to help children with autism. It was devastating. And the science had gone off in awful ways. Millions and millions of dollars spent trying to disprove Andrew Wakefield's theories that vaccines cause autism. And, and those millions of dollars could have been spent trying to actually help children who had autism rather than trying to disprove a theory based upon a terribly inept experimental pipeline on six kids. It made me very angry. But we ended up trying anything we could find to help him. And it became incredibly difficult to sort the wheat from the chaff in terms of what was available and what would be effective and what would do no harm. What we ended up with was looking at supplements. And we found that children who have autism, based on our own research, are missing certain bacteria in the intestine that help to produce a compound which stimulates the immune system in a beneficial way. They actually do produce that compound, but they have other bacteria that do it. And they also produce another chemical which actually helps to make the immune system more inflamed. So they end up with an inflamed gut. And that inflamed gut tends to exacerbate inflammation throughout the body. I always say an inflamed gut is like an inflamed brain and we need to treat the gut. And it's very true, right? There's a link there. There is the link that it's a similar tissue. I mean, the whole body is the same tissue. It's, you know, every single cell is, has the same progenitor cell, right? So what's in the immune system is the same throughout the body. With your scientist hat, you believe that certain bacteria can be beneficial to children with autism? Yes, we believe that children with autism could be provided beneficial bacterial probiotics. Remember, a probiotic has a very particular definition. It's a living organism that, when applied in enough volume, actually has a beneficial outcome in the child. I believe that those organisms do exist. I believe that we need to add them and do the trials to uh, test if they have effective treatment and more children. So I went out and I did my full background research and spoke to companies and identified a product called Butyrate, uh, which is a 
chemical normally produced by bacteria in the gut, a fatty acid, and it stimulates the immune system and it helps the gut to grow a strong wall, a strong lining. So I was like, okay, we could try this. So we tried it and it was a remarkable outcome in my son. He, it's almost like he woke up. And we waited for three months. We didn't tell anyone at the school that he was on anything and we went for an IEP meeting. And they said, this is remarkable. Dylan seems like he is alert. He seems more communicative, he can talk to people. He's been talking to his peers. He's been you know, communicating more effectively with teachers. And they said, we think we want to take off some of his support mechanisms because we think they might be hindering his ability to develop his communication now. And, you know, he had a communication teacher. And we were, I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And they said, do you know if anything's happened recently? I said, no, no. You know, we did tell them for six months because I, I had to go through this whole process of stopping the treatment and then restarting it to be sure that this was what was actually causing it because he could have just been growing up, right? And, you know, autism symptoms do tend to decrease with age. The thing that was the aha moment for me, I was sitting outside my house and he was walking home from school and he, he must have been seven or eight years old and he came up to me and he said, hey, Dad, how was your day? And I was like, what? He'd never done that, ever. Never shown a positive, you know, interest in you know, anyone, really. Wow. Unprompted, asking you a question. That's like a, a parent to a child with autism who's had a nonverbal child. That's like, that's a big day. Yeah, it was. I was like, I was like, I'm sold. <laughs> it was amazing. It was the best, best day I've had had. We then went through this trial and error process. We removed the treatment and saw a decline. We added the treatment back in and saw an improvement. We, we kept him on that treatment for about four and a half years until eventually he, as a more developed child, uh, 12 years old, decided that he wanted to try not taking these pills in the morning and see how he felt. He made that decision for himself, which was a remarkable development anyway and he decided he didn't want it and we explored the rationality of that and made decisions about what we thought was most appropriate and uh, you know he's doing very well he has a strong IEP plan he's 14 years old he's in high school now he's developed the strategies he needs in order to make his way through life we're finding we've got a, a strong little man on our hands now and you know uh, self-possessed did you ever consider exploring FMT for Dylan at the time when we were going through this whole process, there were no clinical studies at all to suggest that FMT, fecal microbiome transplants, could be effective. This is nine years ago. The only clinical study of effect is run by a University of Arizona by some very trusted colleagues, Rosa Krajmalnik Brown. It's a phenomenal scientist. And that study, small study, 15, 20 kids, it did demonstrate a significant improvement in the metrics we'd normally use to monitor childhood development and cognitive performance and physiological response. And it seemed to be stable over a period of two years. The difficulties with that study, there was no control group. So no healthy children, which is very difficult to do, were given an FMT. So we can't be 100% sure. If I take off my parent hat and put my scientist hat on, I want to see more data. And I want to see how it affects children and adults with autism and see if it has any beneficial outcome for them. I'll tell you my little FMT story because we went to a doctor to learn how to do an FMT enema. Zane was four. He was nonverbal. And it's kind of like your wow moment, but we took him, we did the enema, literally took 10 seconds. The process was taking a donor's fecal matter that was then blended into a slurry, I guess. And then it was in a big tube 
And basically, we told Zane, we're going to count to 10. And it was, we count to 10 as you push it in. And then he kept it inside him for a good amount of time. And then we went back to the hotel where we were staying. And I was laying with him in the bed and I was wearing a a bathing suit because there was a swimming pool. And my bathing suit was wet, so I took it off. So Zane and I were like face to face and he was really near my breast, but he had stopped breastfeeding a while ago. And he said, I want to drink milk. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't know. I didn't make that up. It really did happen. It was the day after his first FMT. It was a huge wow, but who knows? I'm not going to suggest that everyone should run out and do that. It's challenging and it could possibly not be the right thing, but there is a lot of buzz in the world. Yeah. I mean, fecal microbiome transplants have been remarkable for the treatment of uh, recurrent C. difficile infections. And they've been used for thousands of years in in Ayurvedic medicine and in uh, Chinese medicine in order to help with those processes. So, you know, it's when we do fecal microbiome transplants in animals and in people, we see cognitive changes. So it, it makes sense to me that there would be an impact, right? I think the difficulty with all of it is demonstrating that that impact is effective and that it's beneficial over the long term and that it's better than other treatments which would be less invasive like a pre-supplement or a probiotic we're in a bit of the wild west and people are trying as you've done and as i've done to help our children in any way we can and that's what parents do right but we have to also be careful about how we communicate what's actually possible it's hard when you're a desperate parent that just wants to help your child it's really hard to not want to try things I want to ask you, what would you share with new parents now about what things to feel good about exposing your children to in terms of bacteria in the environment? All of the current data that we have points to three things that you really need to do as a parent, right? The first is make sure the child eats a balanced, healthy diet, right? Really hard. My kids still eat mac and cheese. You know, I can't be a food czar. I've tried. But, you know, invariably, they eat a diverse set of foods as well. And they eat a lot of fibre. It's really, really, really important to gastrointestinal health and to everything else, which, again, as you've experienced in autistic children, is a whole other kettle of fish. It's very difficult to to get them to eat a diverse food set. But in neurotypical children, in most children, yeah, a healthy diet is key. The other thing is interacting with the world, Right. Furry pets are great, great to learn responsibility and also incredibly beneficial in all of our current associated research. But um, cats seem to not do very much at all. Dogs seem to be incredibly helpful, right? We don't know why. Got no idea. We've got a lot of hypotheses, but we're not too sure. Or growing up on a farm can be really beneficial. 50% reduction in the likelihood of developing asthma if you're physically interacting with the farm environment in which you live. And the other one is just getting outside and interacting with nature so yes that's hard for a lot of uh, people but interacting with a a window box and showing a child how to plant with their own food go for walks a little physical activity is incredibly beneficial for the microbiome and incredibly beneficial for your immune system so we walk around the neighborhood with the kids go to the park you know sit down on the grass you know like do crazy things like stick your hands in the soil and if i take an antibiotic then the best way of doing it is to eat a lot of fiber and increase the amount of potentially even fermented foods which are consumed during and up to two weeks post-antibiotic therapy. If I have to give one to my children, I try to the best of my ability to make them eat more fruit and more lettuce and... Kimchi. Hit the kimchi. Kimchi. Yeah, they don't don't like kimchi. I love it. 
but I try sauerkraut, which is really interesting. It's like German kimchi. And so, yeah, we do everything we can to increase the fiber content and the diversity of phytonutrients which are present in their diet in order to feed good bacteria so that they can prevent the antibiotic-resistant bad bacteria from growing when a child's taking antibiotic. We'll be back after a quick break. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Healthy Baby Show. I am a cell biologist by training, so I was uh, nearing the end of my postdoctoral fellowship out at Stanford University when I became a mother and had my son and found myself in the predicament of really struggling to produce enough milk to feed him so that he could continue to grow the way that you would hope your healthy baby does. That's Layla Strickland. She co-founded the early stage startup BioMilk with food scientist Michelle Eggers. 
BioMilk is on a mission to give mothers an alternative to formula if they're having a challenge with breastfeeding. They're basically trying to create breast milk without the breast. I'm so fascinated by this that I became an investor because I believe this is where the future of infant nutrition is heading. I talked to both Layla and Michelle about the benefits of human milk and why they created BioMilk. Here's Michelle. Human milk oligosaccharides are specifically designed to be the perfect prebiotic for gut microbiome development. They're evolutionarily designed to be easily broke down by the gut microbiota that we know are classically there through that fecal oral transplant kind of pathway. So with a healthy gut, if you have bifidus bacteria growing as an infant, these human milk oligosaccharides, which there are hundreds of in breast milk, have very specific uses as they're broken down into smaller components that are used for cognitive development, musculoskeletal development, and immunological development. And HMOs are specific to humans. There are oligosaccharides in bovine milk. They're just evolutionarily designed for baby cows, not baby humans. So as we think about the way we use these as prebiotics for our our gut digestion, very little is even, I think, personally understood beyond just that they're useful. And as Dr. Gilbert and I discussed, breast milk is one of the best ways to support your baby's gut health. And yet the reality is that not every parent can breastfeed or has the opportunity to breastfeed for an extended period of time. In fact, 84% of moms in the U.S. turn to formula within the first six months of life. I've learned so many mothers experience similar things in those early days of motherhood. There's a very fraught isolating, challenging time emotionally. But as a scientist, the way that I kind of tried to get control over this was dive into the literature and see what do we know? What is this milk? Why is it so important that I feed it to my baby? Why might my body be struggling to produce enough of it? What's going on? So the more I combed through the literature, I had a couple of observations. One was that milk production is a spatially controlled cell-based process, very similar to the processes I'd already been studying as a graduate student and postdoc. So I had a pretty good intellectual basis to understand how that process works. It's also just, unfortunately, a pretty neglected field of research, at least as far as human lactation is concerned and human milk biosynthesis. And I found myself in a good position to start to make some hypotheses and some ideas about how perhaps if you wanted to grow the cells that produce milk outside the body, you might be able to do that in a way that would let you collect the product that they make. And if you could do that, what would that mean for babies and for families? Why is human milk the best for growing a little human? bovine-based infant formulas and now plant-based and soy-based infant formulas have really been groundbreaking and life-changing and life-saving products in many cases. But those products are always going to be formulated from a starting material that really can't capture the biological complexity of human milk, which has really been developed over 200 million years of evolutionary pressure to be ideal for providing the baby with all the things they need, not just from a nutritional standpoint, but also from a signaling standpoint, helping the intestine closure so that the baby can properly absorb nutrients, brain development, lung development, all the systems in the body are affected. And so when you're starting to make an infant formula from something that fundamentally can't achieve the right proportions or even provide some of the critical components, you're just never going to be able to achieve anything close to what human milk can do in the baby's body. So let's talk about biomilk and why it is the answer for breast milk. It 
It's not just like it's like the best formula in the world. It is breast milk. Can you guys explain this? Because it's very difficult to understand. Like, how do you create human milk without the breast? We're always very careful to say it's not breast milk (laughs) because it's not directly from a breast. You know, we're still strong proponents of if you can breastfeed exclusively and you're having a beautiful journey doing so, like power to you. And so our technology was, to Layla's credit, really thinking about how do you discontinue the process of lactation from the need of being in a human breast to instead creating the environment outside of a human breast where human mammary epithelial cells, the cell that line the mammary gland and produce a majority of the macro and micronutrients of breast milk, can construct into a 3D manner where they can synthesize and produce milk outside of the body. So it looks a lot like biologics production or something kind of this world of vaccines that we're talking a lot about, similar level of biotech, but we're utilizing a human cell that in the body has millions of years of evolution pre-programmed to lactate. So we just have to give it the right environment where it knows it's top from its bottom, zipper and tight to its neighbors and forms a, a mammary gland layer, essentially pulls in nutrients from the media that we feed it in a flow path similar to how it would receive nutrients from the mother's bloodstream and then secrete milk into a separate chamber so that we can have a pure product that's not intermingling with glucose and nutrients, hormones, the things that naturally would be in the mother's bloodstream from her diet and body. Fundamentally, when you start to break it down, it doesn't sound that crazy. (laughs) You know, it sounds like pigs flying when you say we're making human milk outside of the body without a human, but these cells are really powerhouses. They can lactate incredibly efficiently. And so we've been learning a lot in the last two years around what environment they do best in, what stimulation they need, and how to identify how to get the best compositionally stable product from them with high levels of protein, sugars, fats. We're kind of shepherds. We really take care of them to just produce milk. And then, you know, handle that milk downstream to make it a a safe product for infants. But they do a majority of the hard work. And fundamentally, we get asked a lot, why scientifically hasn't somebody else done this before? And I, I really credit Layla to her intersectional experience of being a mom and being a scientist, addressing a problem that until recently, there weren't women trained to be able to address. Science was driven mainly by male clinicians and researchers, and they weren't necessarily thinking about breast milk production as a cellular process versus just it's something women's bodies do. You know, you're creating something so, you know, you call it the elixir of life. You can create the optimal elixir of life even when any of us is breastfeeding. Our diet and our nutrition informs the quality of the milk that we produce. So from an optimal standpoint, what is in the optimal human milk? And how do you guys ensure that we get all of these nutrients? Your question of sort of defining optimal is actually a really interesting sort of philosophical one that we ponder a lot because milk is so different from one woman to the next. And even within the same woman from morning to night or even the beginning of her feeding to the end of her feeding, the composition changes. What's the genetic basis for really great milk production when women are able to be overproducers? You know, those very fortunate women who have a freezer full of milk. We want to know what's the deal with that (laughs) genetically. Breast milk from the breast is really dynamic and highly variable. And that variability is not necessarily something that we'll be able to replicate or capture in a manufacturing process. And so 
we study closely what are the needs of human infants at different stages in their growth and are trying to set targets for nutrient composition and contents around what we know to be important. Yeah, and I just want to add that breast milk is, is not very well understood broadly throughout the field. And most of the research that's been done over the last 50 to 60 years was done by infant formula companies, which don't necessarily have a benefit to share how breast milk is better than infant formula. And so just even finding the ability to do large scale compositional studies, you know, we're, we're running a study ourselves right now, soliciting breast milk samples from the public to be able to assess composition because it's just not a space that's regulated globally. No one says what should be in breast milk. And the research that has been done is usually pretty focused on very specific populations, not thinking about the diversity of cell genetics and backgrounds that we all bring. It's sometimes a little daunting as a 30-person startup to feel responsible for defining <laughs> breast milk on that level. So we're always open to collaborations, research, new spaces that we can find ways to learn together because lactation science is a woefully underfunded and understudied field. Well, I I believe in you. I also, I've never been as hungry in my life as I was when I was breastfeeding, not when I was pregnant. And I think it's so critically important during that time to make sure you have clean water and clean food and a really deep stack of supplements that you can trust because it really does take a lot to make that milk. And it is a, like a feat of modern nature and it is really difficult to do it while you're working. So my hat's off to you guys for taking this on and I can't wait to see what comes next. One of the things that makes me think about is just taking a long view of the future you know, if we're successful in our goals, future generations of babies will be better fed, will realize the benefits of that better nutrition in the earliest days of their lives when their systems are really setting up to function. And unlocking human potential is what we really think about when we think about the long view of, of the biotechnology that we're working with, creating populations of people who haven't been deprived of some of these really essential building blocks from the earliest days and the course that that sets us on as a community of people. Well, that's it for the show this week. Next week is a very personal episode for me. We'll talk with two of my mentors, the wonderful Lisa Ackerman and Dr. Stephen Cowan, about what happens when your child receives a neurological diagnosis. This is something I've been through myself, and I wanted to share what I've learned to help other parents through it. And to let you all know, as truly gut-wrenchingly difficult as it can be, if this is your story or if this becomes your story, it can actually be a hopeful one. So tune in and learn more about what the research says. The Healthy Baby Show is a production of iHeart Podcast Network and HealthyBaby.com, where you can find a new line of the safest baby essentials. The Healthy Baby Show is hosted by me, Shazi Visram. Our lead producer is Jennifer Bassett. Executive producers are Nikki Etor, Anna Stumpf, Shazi Visram, and James Violette. Mastering and sound design by Carl Cadle and Dan Bauza. Additional writing and research by Julia Weaver. Our theme music is by Anna Stumpf and Hamilton Lighthouser. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. 
Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.